0: Well, I want to welcome everyone to our service today, all of those here in our celebration service, uh, those across the way in our summit service, who I did not get to visit with this morning, but we're glad that you're here, those that are watching online and those who are watching our broadcast. As you know, we've been focused on the book of Ephesians now. It seems like for months and months and months, it has been months and months to months, uh, but we've come to a verse uh, that I don't feel I can preach well. And so I've brought in a friend of mine, Will uh, McCain, to come and share with us today uh, this very special verse. And listen, uh, Will and his wife, Jeannie, and his two boys are here with us. Uh, Will is the uh, director for evangelism and church health at the Arkansas State Baptist Convention. Uh, He is a a former senior pastor at a number of churches. Uh, He is a family man. Uh, He is a brilliant theologian. I am in a PhD program with him, and he is definitely the uh, top student in the class, Uh, and uh, he's a man who absolutely loves the Lord. And so I'm thankful for him to come and preach today this very special verse. You'll see why in a moment uh, that he's here to preach this for us today. Uh, One thing I would mention, though, about Will is that, um, and this will mean something to many of you uh, he grew up uh, under the ministry of Adrian Rogers, and uh, actually served at Bellevue Baptist Church uh, under the pastor who followed uh, Dr. Rogers. Uh, but he um, knew Dr. Rogers, and uh, he comes and and preaches uh, like Dr. Rogers preaches. That's the kind of message we're looking for, Will. So, hey, let me <laughs> let me lead us in a word of prayer. Father, I'm th- so thankful for Will, and I'm thankful for. Just his love for you and his uh, leadership for the kingdom uh, throughout the Southeast. And I'm thankful that he has come here today to talk about this one passage of Scripture that is so important. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you come? Thank you, brother. Thank
1: you. Well, good morning. A sermon like Dr. Rogers. I do remember uh, on one occasion, Dr. Rogers made the comment that uh, some of his sermons ended up being more like eggs that he had laid on the pulpit, and so uh, we'll, at least aim, we'll at least aim there. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, if you have a Bible, uh, I bring greetings to you from uh, our executive director in the state of Arkansas with the Baptist Convention, Dr. Sonny Tucker, and the rest of our team. Um, it is a privilege to be able to serve pastors and staff members in the state of Arkansas. My role with the evangelism and church health team has lasted for about a year and a half. We serve about 1,500 churches uh, and work with pastors, churches of all uh, shapes, sizes, and uh, uh, leanings. Some are contemporary, some are traditional, and, uh, and it, is, it is a joy. Uh, it's a joy to serve. When I entered into ministry in uh, about... The Lord first called me a little over 20 years ago. I never in, in the world thought that I would end up working for a state convention. Uh, I wanted to pastor and possibly teach later on down the road, but the Lord has given me the, uh, the honor to walk through one of the most difficult seasons uh, that a lot, of, a lot of our pastors have faced uh, and a lot of our churches have faced. And, uh, and so it's with that in mind that I want to take a look Ephesians chapter 6, I'm, I'm going to read verses 10 through 20, but I, I really want to draw our attention to verses 18 uh, through 20. I've been, uh, I've been bowled over by the level of hospitality that you've shown to me this morning and over the course of the weekend. Uh, your pastor has become a fast friend in, uh, in the classroom, and then uh, also outside of that, we Share encouragement and also commiserate over the phone and over text with course load and ideas. And uh, I'm really grateful, really grateful for him as I know that you are, especially as you approach a milestone in his ministry of five years of being here. That is no small feat either for pastor or church in a day when so many pastoral tenures last uh, on average between two to two and a half years. Um, five years doubles that. We, we, we know it takes at least three to five years just to be, transition from being the preacher to becoming the pastor. And, uh, and so I do want to commend you, Pastor Noel, uh, for, for that. The Word of the Lord says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, in light of all that I have written about who God is and and what that looks like when it's applied to the church. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, uh, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything, to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth, like a belt around your waist." Righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray. Pray. "...at all times in the Spirit, with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains." Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we bless you and we thank you for the privilege of being able to gather together and read, consider, and act upon your word. Spirit of God, we ask you to speak to us. Impress your word upon our heart, cause it to reverberate, to stir, um, grant us insight so that we may live according to your perfect righteous plan. Would you glorify yourself, Father, Son, and Spirit, in uh, the manner by which you speak to our hearts during this time together, and we ask this... In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God, in his perfect wisdom and in his kindness, both toward you and toward your pastor, pastoral staff, has allowed you, has ordained for you to be part of this congregation in this town in this season, as opposed to any other time, any other place in history. If there were another time, another place for you, God would have ordained that. But he has seen fit and seen it best for you to be born and live here now. And and it is a mark of his wisdom that he's caused this it 's also a mark of his of his mercy of his kindness i don 't know if you think about this often, but one of the ways that God shows His kindness toward the rest of the world is by creating you as He has and then placing you in the setting in which you live it 's a mercy both both to the world and and toward you, and that 's true for your pastor. As well. In the middle of this, he has ordained for you to live here and now, but this is not a time of ease and a time of comfort. We live in the midst of a very real spiritual battle, and it's a battle that we are not naturally equipped for. But that is not something that should discourage us, it should be uh, a, a great reminder for us that we. We live, we rely upon, we fight this spiritual battle with resources that are supernatural. We do not war against flesh and blood with flesh and blood. But instead, God has given to us an impenetrable defense… He has given us the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He's given us the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. He's given to us an impenetrable defense. He's given to us an incomparable offense, the, 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 the sword of the Spirit. There is no weapon that is formed by the enemy that should be able to get through the defense or withstand the offense that God has given to us. The enemy knows this. And so his tactic is to cause us to lay down the armor, put down the shield, rely upon our own resources, our own intelligence to fight battles that we are not equipped to fight. But God has given to us all that we need to war. And to live out the victory that he's already claimed for us in the person and the work of Jesus. He's given to us this sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, in which he reveals himself. He communicates to us by his Word. But it's not a one-way form of communication. He initiates a dialogue through the Word. He reveals himself through the Word. We take his Word... And then we respond in prayer. One of the reasons that we struggle so badly in prayer is uh, because we often butt into a conversation ignoring the first part of what has already been said through the Word. We don't know what to pray because we just jump in with the spillage of our emotions. God has started a conversation. We pick it up. And we pray. Three times, verses 18, 19, and 20, you see Paul saying pray. Pray at at all times. Notice in verse 18, there are four different ways that he uses this word all. First of all, he mentions the season. Pray at all times. There is never a season, never a rhythm that you participate in, never a mood, never a circumstance in which you are not to pray. Pray at all times, when you feel like it, when you don't. Uh, when you're in the middle of a busy day and when you're retreating, when you are spending time in quiet. He mentions the sort of prayers uh, with every prayer and request, request, whether you consider it to be large or small, uh, whether it's urgent uh, or just a passing thought. He notices the stance of prayer. Notice he says, stay alert with all perseverance. Another word for that is watch, look, pay attention. Uh, uh, Don't be asleep at the wheel. Be sober-minded, be steady, be faithful. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. Stay alert with all perseverance and intercession. Then notice the subject of these prayers. All the saints. No one is to be neglected. There's never a time to stop. Never a need to skip. Never a person to ignore when it comes to prayer. You may think, well, that seems overwhelming. How in the world am I to pray in that way for all people at all times? And he mentions this right at the beginning of this verse. He says, pray in the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God supplies you with the energy to pray. The Spirit of God supplies you with the request to pray for. The Spirit of God takes your groanings, Romans 8, and translates them uh, into appropriate language in which the Son will receive and present to the Father. Now know this in prayer, that you will never find the Trinity at odds with one another about whether or not to answer prayer. The Spirit of God will never stir something within you to then offer to the Lord that he then looks at and rejects. They, the, Spirit, the Son, the Spirit, the Father always work in connection with one another. We pray in the Spirit. I love this phrase in verse 18. He says, pray for all the saints. And then he runs straight in and says, pray, pray also. This word in the original language could also be taken to mean pray especially. For me, what a tender request. I was talking to my wife over the course of this last week, and it's one of the most uh, humble things that a pastor can do is to look at someone that you're responsible to care for before the Lord. Uh, A pastor's responsibility and a pastor's joy and honor is to live for someone else's flourishing. One of the greatest chapters in the Bible on the heart of a pastor is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And Paul said, I've lived with you as a father encouraging his children. I've lived with you like a a mother caring for her infant child. When he gets to the end of chapter 2, he says, what is our joy? What is our hope? What is our crown of exaltation at the coming of the Lord Jesus? What will I be most proud of when Jesus returns? Boy, what a fascinating question for a pastor to consider. Not that I would ever desire to do this, but if I were going to present a list of accomplishments to the Lord when He returns, what would it be? Would it be the size of the church that I pastored? Uh, Would it be the number of people that came to know the Lord? Would it be the number of books that I authored? The number of degrees that I attained? Paul says, what will I be most proud of when Jesus returns? Is it not even you? You are our hope. You are our joy. The pastor's greatest joy and honor is to see other men, other women, other boys, other girls come to know the Lord and grow in him. And so it's sobering indeed to read this. It's tender Pray for me. It's hard for a pastor to ask at times for prayer. I don't know why. I do know why. Because there are many things that take place over the course of pastoral ministry that you don't want to know about. Calls that, as pastors, you never expected to receive. I'm grateful for every bit of seminary training that I've received and and other courses and things that I've read, but there are some circumstances and some phone calls and some text messages that no amount of training could ever prepare you for different scenarios that present themselves. and How in the world could that happen? How can someone do that or have that done to them? And Paul, in his ministry in Ephesus and around, is, and he's in prison at this point in Rome, he's saying, pray for me. But he, he said, pray specifically for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Now, Paul possesses the same weapons of spiritual warfare that he's encouraging the Ephesians to take up. He's aware of his circumstances, his own limitations. He's aware of his humanity. And he reminds the Ephesians, I need prayer just as much as you do. Please don't forget me as you pray for all the saints. And this is a good thing for Paul to do. He reminds himself rightly that he is just as much a member of the body as any other member. Paul is not the head of the body. Jesus is. And Paul needs Jesus just as much as any other member, sightly or unsightly. Known or unknown. Paul doesn't say pray for them. He says pray for me that the the Spirit will stir within me appropriate words and concepts that do justice to the gospel message. Pray that he would grant me boldness. You don't need boldness when you preach a soft message. It doesn't take courage to say things that tickle the ears. Paul says, pray that God would grant to me boldness because the gospel message, while gracious, is clear and stands in opposition to selfish pride. False religion. He says, I'm an ambassador in, in chains. Essentially saying, pray that I will fulfill the calling that God has placed upon me. Pray that I would honor the Father's plan. Pray that I would honor the Son's sacrifice. Pray that I would honor the Spirit's leading, that I would be sensitive to hear how to apply the gospel message in this circumstance among these people. Pray for me. Now this seems to imply... That Paul's success in ministry, to some degree, hinges upon whether or not they pray for him. Now think about that for a moment. I think it would be false to assume that the entirety of Paul's ministry is in jeopardy if people don't pray for him. But this does imply, because of what we know about prayer because of what we know about God's intentions, because of what we know about God's Word, that at least in some degree, Paul's success in ministry hinges upon whether or not people pray for him. Well, What's true for Paul, what's true for the Ephesians... I would like to submit to you is also true for you and your pastor. I would argue based on the authority of God's word that at least to some degree his effectiveness in ministry hinges upon your prayer. You play a large part in your pastor's ministry whether you realize it or not. We have a tendency in American culture to celebrate that which happens on screens, on platforms, under lights. And because we elevate that to such a degree, sometimes we buy into the notion that anything that happens out of sight, away from cameras, small, in shadows, that it's less significant. But I would argue to you that that's not the way of the kingdom. The uh, the seed of the word finds fertile ground in the heart, and then it bears fruit many times over. It starts off like a seed. You could hide it between your thumb and your forefinger. Small. But once planted, it bears fruit that reaches. The mustard seed is the same way. Oh, what was Jesus' plan in reaching the world to initiate the kingdom for which we are waiting uh, for when he returns, for when he finally consummates it. We know he's begun the kingdom, that it's already uh, been started to a degree, but it won't be complete until he returns. How did he initiate this work? With a band of twelve. Twelve. And he invests in them, he pours into them, and then commits that same task to him so that they will reach others who will reach others to the ends of the earth, to the end of time. I like the way that it was put to me by one dear friend. Jesus saw the masses through the man, and he built the man to reach the masses. For three years, he buried his life into a few. Well, that's small. That doesn't take place underneath a... You know, if you've got cameras in the first century, that's not something that's promoted, but that's the way of the kingdom. And another piece of this, the the way of the kingdom is a pastor's effectiveness. To some degree, hinges upon the participation of those who receive the benefit of his ministry. You play a large part in your pastor's ministry. I do want to ask you to consider, first of all, his calling. Consider a pastor's calling. Like Paul, a pastor is an ambassador in chains. Now, I believe in verse 20, Paul uses this term chains both literally, he's in prison, he's under house arrest, but also literally, he is chained to this role. He has been called and commissioned by God to be an ambassador. An ambassador represents someone else. An ambassador is a spokesperson. He is consigned to represent God among men, and he represents men before the Lord. And so a pastor is one who lives in two very different worlds. His responsibility is to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to bring the truths, the principles of heaven onto earth and to take the matters of earth back up to heaven before the Lord in prayer and in service. A pastor is one who lives between the two extreme emotions of joy and sorrow. It is a joy to see people come to know the Lord and to grow in the Lord. It is sorrow to see people walk away from him It is sorrow to see the enemy undermine the work of God in homes and in the church. It is a bittersweet calling. He lives in the whiplash between that which takes place in private with just he and the Lord and then in public with noise and hurry and requests, and he would have it no other way. The pastor is an ambassador in chains. Even if you cut that chain loose, he wouldn't want to leave his post. The pastor is one who will always feel out of step in one of those worlds. Because when you are ultimately in tune with the Lord, sometimes it it is difficult to readapt to the very common experience of life. I'm reminded when I read this and think of Paul saying I'm an ambassador in chains, I'm reminded of what he mentioned to the Ephesian elders just before he left them in tears. In Acts chapter 20, he said to them, I consider my life of no value to myself. I don't live for me. This is, this should be the heart of a pastor. My purpose is to finish the course... My course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Oh, for the pastor who understands the boundaries that God has apportioned to him. Not to exceed them and not to fall short. My desire is to finish my course. And my course may look very different from that of Noel Deere or Adrian Rogers. Fulfill my course, not his The ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. This is the pastor's calling. And he fulfills this calling amid a set of challenges. The pastor's challenges are like many of yours. He faces spiritual challenges... Uh, missional challenges. Uh, the, 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 the gospel needs to go forth, and, and the enemy does not give up ground without war, and so there is this spiritual war that takes place all, over the pl- uh, all around. And in order for the mission to advance, we must steel ourselves with the armor of God, with the sword of the Word, the power of the Spirit, and war not against flesh and blood. Against our cosmic enemy, the devil, realizing that ultimately the battle has been won in Jesus. There are cultural challenges. Every generation has faced these. Uh, You simply look around, you watch the news, you see a depraved culture, you see uh, a divisive culture. I I don't know of another time in my life when uh, people are so polarized, so separated. distraction, the constant pull away from God and his kingdom. And the pastor is one who walks with people underneath the authority of God, his word, as one amid those that he serves and desires to faithfully be God's people in this culture at this time and extend the kingdom in whatever ways God would allow it's a strange calling with many challenges. There are relational challenges. You have them in culture, but you also start to have them within the church. Differences of personality and opinion on how to do things. And when the culture starts to invade the church, not just in um, mindsets, but also in the way that challenges are handled, can become very divisive. The church can often become a microcosm of what you see in larger society. And on top of that, there are personal challenges. Every pastor is human, just as human as you. I did grow up under the ministry of Dr. Adrian Rogers, and we were convinced, at least I was, as a, as a student, as a child, that Dr. Adrian Rogers was cut from different cloth. That he, uh, he had a special phone in his office that was probably red, and he had a direct line to the Lord that we didn't have access to. How could you not think that when the man had the voice that he did? brilliance. I've never shared this story before, publicly. When I was 16 years old, I, was, I, I got a job at the grocery store just a couple of miles away from my house. And on one particular evening, it was a, just a normal night of the week, about 8 o'clock, I was walking to the back toward the stock room um, to do something, and I, and I looked right there somewhere along aisle 4, 3 maybe, canned goods second shelf down, canned chili. And it's my pastor, Dr. Rogers, stooped down, second shelf, picking up a can of chili. And I said, Dr. Rogers, is that you? And he said, shh, don't tell Miss Joyce, she's out of town. <laughs> and he went back to the can of chili eight o'clock at night on a random night of the week and Adrian Rogers is at the grocery store buying himself a can of chili and Miss Joyce wouldn't have been happy about it he became human to me Now, some of you are much closer to your pastor than I was to mine and you understand over time your pastor is human he experiences the same limitations that you do as a human, the same uh, physical uh, limitations, the same emotional limitations, even psychological challenges that, uh, that, 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 that you face. And, and not just his own, but also he bears that before the Lord. You come to his mind at 2 or 3 in the morning when he wakes up and can't go back to sleep and begins to pray. You come to his mind as he drives, and when he receives phone calls. pastor's challenges are unique, but there is also a form of support that a pastor receives that equips him to do the work that God has given to him just as Paul was equipped to do his. Third, the pastor's support. He receives the same support that is provided to his people. And that is the Holy Spirit of Christ applied afresh to his heart, to his mind, to his life, and to his work. That's what we need. Now, how is that applied? When is it applied? Brothers and sisters, it's applied when you pray, when you pray for him. Now, lest you think that I'm here just to build up your pastor, I'm not. Your pastor does not have what it takes to lead this church. Your pastor does not have the intelligence, the stamina. Uh, The ability to be everywhere at all times, knowing all things, and capable of doing all things. That's not your pastor. If that's what you desire in a pastor, you have the wrong pastor. I'm convinced that one of the challenges many churches today is that they want something in their pastor that can only be found in Jesus. So here's my encouragement to you. You will find no better shepherd for this church, for your soul, than Jesus himself. But how is it that Jesus applies, in many ways, his shepherding ministry to you and to this church in this day? How does he do that? Through your pastor. Through the under-shepherd. Who imperfectly, but with the best of his ability... Independence upon the Lord attempts to shepherd you as Jesus would have him. And you play a part in this becoming a reality. When you pray for those who preach the gospel to you, you join them in their ministry. The ministry, the part that you play in your pastor's ministry, is not less than the part that he plays. It is significant. I can't tell you the number of times, and I'm not speaking for him. He and I haven't even had this conversation. I can't tell you the number of times that I didn't sleep well on Saturday night. The number of times uh, that I woke up so discouraged that I didn't have what it took to preach the word, the times I felt low, that I would, even in attempting to open my mouth, that I would dishonor the Lord because my thoughts of him are so high and my thoughts of the people are so high. They are worthy of so much more than I could ever give. That is a reality and a very real part of war for the pastor. And I can't tell you, How many times i felt that low, walked into the pulpit, and God shows up. He empowers me. He lifts my spirit. He gives me words. He helps the connection. People grow. People come to know him. People respond. And they get a text message later in the day. The Lord brought you to mind this morning. I prayed for you. I can remember one time in February... In 2020, that I was in my office getting ready to walk out to prepare to preach the Bible. I was preaching through the I Am's of Jesus. And I felt so inadequate, so ill-prepared. They need someone better than me to lead this church. And I'm despairing of life. And I get a text message from a pastor friend in the area. It didn't matter what the conversation was. Uh, what we would talk about when we would get together for pastor lunches, he and I usually found a way to disagree about the idea or the course of action. It was a friendly disagreement. We, were never, we never yelled, never shouted. We just constantly found ourselves on other ends of the spectrum. I get a text message from him. He said, the Lord just brought you to mind. He put down a verse. He said, I'm praying for you this morning. Oh, how Timely. When you pray for your pastor, you join them in the ministry that God has entrusted to them. You join in the supply line. If you imagine that war, and the pastor is, 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 is leading you out into that war. He is one among you. You are one who is calling down supply from heaven. You know what the Bible has said. You know what God has promised, and you take that back to the Lord. You say, God, you promised this. Would you do that now on behalf of my pastor?" God uses that. That's how God accomplishes his work. That's how God empowers ordinary common people to do supernatural things. What a heartbreaking scene to be entrusted to a ministry that you play no part in. Should your pastor battle on your behalf while you remain indifferent? Should you disengage from the battle? Should you leave their side? Should you push against the ministry of Jesus, whoever lives to make intercession for the saints? Should you resist that and step aside and break rank? I pray that it wouldn't be so for you. I pray that you would pray for your pastor, that you would pray for your pastors here at the church. Do you long to have a better pastor? Then pray for the one that God has given to you. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about prophets and evangelists and apostles and pastor teachers as gifts, that God gifts them to the church so that they might equip the saints for the work of ministry. In God's wisdom and in his kindness, your pastoral team is a gift to you. And you are a gift to them. I wanna ask you this morning to pray for your pastor, to pray for your pastors quickly in six ways. Six ways! I'll hurry. First of all, pray for your pastor affectionately, pray with love. That means you don't comb through the psalms looking for the imprecatory psalms where uh, he's calling down judgment. Your pastor, your pastoral staff, they are friends to you. You pray for them as you would ask them to pray for you. They're fellow saints, they're representatives, they are not your enemy. Your enemy is not flesh and blood. Pray that God would help you to maintain a tender heart toward them. So you may ask the question, what if I don't have the heart to pray for them? What if I don't want to pray for my pastor? Then I would encourage you to do this. Begin by thinking about meditating upon God's excellencies. All the different ways that he is immeasurably good and gracious and holy and wise and loving. And think about, meditate upon how God has applied that to you through the work of his son and by the power of his Holy Spirit. How gracious God has been to you. And then meditate upon the fact that God desires to show that same measure of grace to all people, including your pastor, and then pray that God would do that in his life. If he is one for whom Christ died, and he is, then he is worthy of your prayer. Pray for all the saints. Even if you don't want to take up verse 19, then go back to verse 18. Pray for all the saints. He is a, one of the saints, so pray for him. But what if he's doing wrong? What if I disagree about the decision to replace the light bulbs in the room with a different wattage or color than what I preferred? I'm mad at him. Then trust him to the Lord. Because the Lord will deal with him in a way that you never could. Pray for him. Pray for him affectionately. Pray blessing over him. I remember a time in my life when I was being publicly and privately assaulted. Not physically. But with words. By a member within our church. On Facebook. Over text message. In conversation with other people. And I would get so angry that if that man would have walked through the doors at any given time, I'd be tempted to not want to wrestle him. I grew up in Memphis, home of Jerry the King Lawler. We don't say wrestling, we say wrestling. I want to wrestle him. And I can remember times I was so overwhelmed that all I could do was get down on my knees and begin to pray for this man. And I didn't pray, God, will you get him? Will you exercise vengeance? Will you vindicate your name? I prayed, God, would you draw him near? Would you remind him of your presence? Would you reveal yourself to him? Would you bless his family? And do you know what God did in my heart? He caused love to grow. I can't explain it. 20 seconds and my disposition towards the man has changed. God did it. So if you want to maintain a tender heart towards someone, pray for them. Pray affectionately. Second, pray thoughtfully. Maintain. He uses this phrase in verse 18. Stay alert. Don't become passive in the way that you pray. I believe many times we pray generic prayers, but we yet expect specific answers. Uh, Lord, be with Pastor Noel. That's fine but he's already promised that he'll never leave or forsake him. So why are you asking him to do something that he's already promised he's going to do? Pray specifically. Lord, your word says that... You, Paul prays, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened and you would know the hope to which he has called you, security of salvation, that you will know what are the immeasurable riches of his inheritance and in the saints, that you will know just how valuable you are in light of the work of Christ, and that you will know what is the immeasurable power of his resurrection, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, that you would work out resurrection power in his life. That's specific. Pray thoughtfully. Pray in mind of his calling, the task that God has given to him, uh, with a mind toward what is at stake in this kingdom mission. But also keep in mind that when you pray for God to bless your pastor, if you have no other motive than this, understand this, that if God blesses the ministry of your pastor, who is ultimately going to benefit from that? You are. You can't lose. You stand again when God reveals himself and his word to your pastor. Pray thoughtfully. Third, pray biblically. Pray what Paul prays here. You can look throughout the rest of Paul's letter. Some two odd uh, or two dozen times, Paul prays specific things. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Colossians 1, 9 through 11. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. You can look over and over and over. When you see a prayer of the Bible, when you see Paul's prayers, take those and say, Lord, put your finger there. Those are my sentiments. Would you do that in the life of my pastor? You can take the psalms. I love to pray through the psalms. Your pastor would love for you to pray through the psalms for him. Fourth, pray expectantly. God gave prayer to us for a reason. When we pray, we ask God to fulfill his promises. We're not asking him to do things that he is reluctant to do. We're just simply asking him to do what he's already said he would. We're asking him to be God on our behalf. We're asking him to fight for us. Fifth, pray persistently. At all times, pray. Don't stop. Don't neglect this. I was thinking about prayer. Jesus did not need prayer the way that we need prayer, but you want to do for your pastor what Peter, James, and John did not do on that night in the Mount of Olives. What did they do? They they slept. They said, Could you not pray with me for one hour? Could you not watch with me for a short period of time? And they slept. Do for your pastor, for this team, what they didn't do for Jesus last. I want to invite you to pray personally. To pray personally. Not generically, as a church, we pray for our pastor, but pray. Pers- Will you pray for your pastor? Will you pray? Imagine your pastor saying to you, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? In light of the calling, the blessed calling that God has placed that requires more than I can give, the challenges before us, the level of support he promises to give when you pray. Will you pray for me? Will you pray for your pastor? I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to And I hope this is okay. I want to invite in this room, in the celebration service, and also in the summit service, I want to invite pastors to come and be here at the front, if you would, please. If you're one of our pastors, I want to ask you to come. And I want to ask you as a congregation to do something. I want to ask you to honor the word of the Lord. This morning. And if the Lord will allow you to come and to gather around these men and to pray over them. We're not going to do this for a long period of time. I'm aware of what time it is. And, and I know some of you may have challenges that, that prohibit you from being able to come down expediently. And you can stay where you are. If, you know, if you've got small children and it makes it difficult, that's fine. But if you can, if you're able, and if you're willing, I want to invite you to come and to pray over these men. Would you come? I'll give you a few moments to come. And here's what I'd like for you to do I'd like for you to just gather around them, lay your hands on them. You may not know much of what to say right now in this moment, you've been put on the spot but I want to ask you to commit to the Lord Lord maybe thank you for my pastor thank you for calling them here thank you for blessing us with with this team Lord would you bless these men would you draw them near would you fill them with your Holy Spirit would you teach them through your word you guard them from the evil one would you protect them from temptation would you enlighten their heart when they open the word would you empower them by your Holy Spirit to do what only you can do through mortal people take just a few moments and pray and then I'll close us off and turn the service back over Almighty God, we bless you and we thank you this morning for the privilege of being able to gather as your children as a body to sing songs of worship to you because you are worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our desire and our delight. Thank you. What a privilege to worship you. And yet as we gather, we are aware of a a culture, a society, a world that is fragmented, that is broken. It's filled with people that don't know you, don't care about you, don't walk in your ways. We feel that assault, but yet you have called us out to be people that reflect your character and extend your kingdom in this world. And only you can do this. How marvelous are your ways. You've given us all that we need to fulfill this mission. And in the middle of it, we are very well aware that we are broken and human and we have limitations. And we need you, Lord Jesus. We need you. And because we need you, you've given to us people that are called out from among us that we know as pastors. God, thank you for our pastors. Thank you for calling these people. Thank you for empowering them, for doing your work through them. And God, we pray that you would continue to honor your promise, continue to honor your character in the way that you treat us through them. I would pray that you would protect them and their families, that you would bless them, that you'd be gracious to them, that you would make your face to shine upon them so that when people look at them, they see you. So that people will think more highly of you, Jesus, when they study the works and the words of these men. Lord, would you bless this church? Would you bless this congregation? Would you bless each member as we all fight together until you return? You are good, and all that you do is good. Thank you for giving us this time. Help us to stay watchful, to continue to war through prayer, trusting you to do more than we can ask or think. And we ask this for your sake in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I want to thank you for being so gracious to me as you find your seats. Thank you for being a church that takes the mission of the Lord. So seriously, thank you for being a church that supports your pastor. It's been a joy to be with you. And I'm going to turn it back over. Thank you for allowing me to be here.